message. Let's get to our word this morning, uh, this afternoon. It's in Ezra 7. I'm still a little bit frazzled, so please pray for us. I'm trying to look cool, even though inside my heart's like racing. Good thing I wore my runners today. <laughs> anyway, that's so stupid. All right, let's go. Ezra 7. Uh, reads, after these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching uh, its decrees and laws in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord of Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, teacher of the law, the God of heaven. Greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors had freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the free will offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams, male lambs, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God, and anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply. You may provide from the royal treasury. Now I, King Artaxerxes, decree that all the treasures of the trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of the God of heaven, may ask of you, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil, a salt and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall in the realm of the king and of his sons? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty on any of the priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, or other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of the trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God. And you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has ancestors, who has put it to, into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this situation that you have put us in. And we thank you, Father, for all the challenges that you bring our way. Lord, we pray for um, the person who contracted COVID in our church. We pray that you'll heal her quickly. And Father, that you'll protect all of her family and close contacts. We pray that for anyone who might be um, affected in any way, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to protect them as well. And Lord, heal people. Lord, if people are nervous or scared at all, Father, may your supernatural comfort reign upon their hearts. May they be convinced that you are in full control. And more, even more than that, that your love is absolutely full for them. So Lord, may they find comfort in you alone. And Father, through all this, may you draw our whole church um, all of our children's ministries, all of our adult ministries, senior citizens, citizens ministries, the Korean-speaking, English-speaking ministries together so that we might truly be your church as one to depend upon you, to love you, to worship you with all that we have. May you be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, I love movies. And if you've ever spent any extended time with me at all, I've probably already asked you what your favorite movie is, top three movies of all time or whatever have you. I've probably already asked you. And you know what's really interesting? That, that's a common question I ask a lot of people when I want to get to know them better. And what I've discovered over the years is that the top movies that most people name are like those underdog movies, you know, or like the movies where the protagonist has to overcome like huge challenges in order to you know, to be victorious at the end, you know, things like the Shawshank Redemption, you know, or Rocky, if you know, that's an old one, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna nail Karate Kid, you know, all these kind of things, you know, and, 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 the, and I agree, because they're awesome, and they're beautiful, and they're absolutely wonderful. You know, even in scripture, I, I, you know, people love those overcoming great odds stories, those underdog stories, you know, kind of like Joseph. There's a lot of people who love the story of Joseph, this younger brother who was sold into slavery, right? And then he was thrown in jail for many years, even though he was totally innocent, but in God's sovereignty becomes the advisor to the Pharaoh, who then places Joseph in a position to judge the people, his brothers who threw him into a pit to be sold into slavery in the first place. That's beautiful. You know, that's like poetic justice, you know, and we love stories like the story of David, the, the short, really the youngest son, you know, of all of his brothers who was just a shepherd. But then one day he hears that this huge giant Philistine is making fun of God, you know, is dishonoring the name of God. So what does he do? He grabs a few rocks and with one rock kills the giant and then becomes what? A shepherd to what? A king, a shepherd to a king, right? That's like the greatest underdog story in the Bible. But we love that, and it's absolutely awesome. Believe it or not, Ezra 7 is a story that's very, very similar. It's not as it's similar. It's not as flashy, but it's a pretty miraculous story right here. Ezra is this priest. This is the priest of Israel, and he's supposed to be serving at some temple back in Jerusalem, but there is no really temple back in Jerusalem, you know, he's stuck there in Babylon. And not only is he stuck in exile in Babylon, but he's at the capital, you know, serving the king at ba you know, in Babylon. And so, you know, what's he supposed to do? And so, but that somehow, some way, God places him in this position to be serving the king 
of Babylon, of this evil empire. And, and not only that, but he's in this possession, uh, position to make requests to the king as well. And what he does is he eventually uh, influences the king of Babylon to send even more people, more Jews back to Jerusalem so that they can now build not the temple, but the city of Jerusalem once again. But here's my question. And to me, that's an amazing story. But here's my question. My question is, why was Ezra chosen by God to carry out this amazing, amazing task, right? What makes Ezra so special that he was chosen by God to do this? And here's my answer. You know, when I, when I in all those Old Testament stories like Joseph and David, and all these Old Testament stories and all the other Old Testament stories you might read, God chooses, what you'll notice is that God chooses to perform his miracles. God chooses to change the world through ordinary people. You know, a younger brother here, a shepherd over here, a priest over there. You know, but that's not why they were chosen. The reason why they were chosen is because God chooses men and women who are totally committed to him. And that's the common characteristic. He chooses men, he chooses men and women who are just completely committed to him. When you look at Joseph, he was a man of integrity. He was a man of faith. Even though he was wrongly jailed for so many years, he just trusted in God. He didn't complain. He just trusted in God. David, he was a man who, even though he was just a shepherd, he had such a passion for the name and the honor of God that he couldn't stand it if someone dishonored God. So he had to do something about it. These people were fully committed to God himself. And when we look at Ezra, what was his what was his defining characteristic? You know, it says that even though he was serving the king of Babylon, he was obsessed with the study of scripture, the teaching of scripture, and the application of God's word in his life. And the lesson that we learn from this and the lesson that Ezra 7 is going to teach us today is that if you want to be used by God to bring the kingdom and to advance the kingdom into your family, into your workplaces, into your schoolrooms, you know, into your circle of friends, wherever it may be, it begins, well, you know, it takes your passion to want to live out God's word, God's way, right? We talked about obedience last week, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more deeply today, right? If you want to prosper in Christ, God loves using people who are passionate about his word, his truth, his ways, so that we can live that out and see more of him within our lives, right? You must be a man or woman who studies, teaches, and lives out God's word Every single day. You know, God loves using people like that to write his story in this world. And so if you want his story to be written within you, well, we said it begins by obedience. But a lot of times, but obedience to what? Obedience to God's word. But you got to know God's word in order to obedient to it. And that's exactly what Ezra was all about. He spent all of his free time studying. He spent, you know, he might have served the king all day, but then when he had time at night, he would study God's word. He would, and then he would try to obey it the next day, and then he would teach it to the people of Israel. And that's why he was used. I'm going to talk about that more specifically in our second point. We only have two points today, but there is another point that the beginning of this chapter is screaming out at us that we really need to know before we get to that second point. And that first point is this. Number one, God is already writing his story through you. 
God is already writing his story through you. Verses, let's look at verse 1 to 6. I'm going to read this over again, okay? After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sarariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Helkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merayoth, the son of Zerariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for the hand of his Lord, or the Lord his God, was on him. If you look at these first five, five verses of this chapter, they're dedicated to the genealogy of Ezra. And the reason why that's all there is to basically show the Israelites that this Ezra is actually a direct descendant of the priestly line of Aaron, Aaron the priest, who was next to Moses. Now, truthfully, just because you're a descendant of Aaron doesn't mean that you're special at all. It doesn't mean that you're more holy or less holy or whatever, right? But the reason why the genealogy is important here is because it proved to the Israelites that God had orchestrated someone from the Aaron line, the Aaron priestly line, who led the people out of Egypt, that first exodus. God, that same God, chose another person from the same priestly line of Aaron to lead these people out of the second exodus out of Babylon. That's why it's here. And the Israelites really needed that. They needed that connection. And so when you think about the ancestry of Ezra, and when you think about these verses, you know, it actually tells us more about the faithfulness of God than it really does about the family of Ezra. Do you see that? That's exactly what it's showing to us. And that's the whole point. What it tells us is that God had already been working in Ezra's life for generations so that Ezra could be used in this way at that time. Do you guys see that? And that's the point that God wants to share with us today. What does it mean for us? It means that God is already at work in your life writing his story through you. Who knows? He may have already been writing that story from previous generations. You know, my fa- I, I share with you my relationship with my dad all the time, but my father and I, we were never close growing up. We never really had much of a relationship. He never had a father growing up, so he didn't know how to be a father. So he kind of like, you know, ran our family like the military. And because of that, I never really had a relationship with my dad. For I never had a conversation with my dad until I was like 22. You know, it was just so... Um, unhealthy. And so, you know, obviously you can imagine I grew up angry. I grew up lonely. I grew up broken, you know, and I grew up very envious of all of my friends who had these dads who would go to all their baseball games or, you know, these dads who would attend every concert, you know, these dads that they can actually have conversations with. You get, you get the picture. Anyway, you know, even when I became a Christian, if I'm very honest with you, I always resented the fact that I came from a family like that. I even blamed God for so many years. Why would you give me a family that jacked me up so badly? You know, and that's what I would say to God. And I was so convinced that God had made a mistake. But what I realize now, you know, 30 years later, is that God knew exactly what he was doing. You know, even as a non-believer, he was at work making me who he wanted me to be so that I could be useful for his work 
today. You know, I never had a relationship with my father. And so when I get, went into ministry, I thought it was always hypocritical of me to be preaching about reconciliation when I refused to reconcile with my father. So I made that my priority ministry in life. But, you know, it was hard. And to make a long story short, God not only healed um, our relationship and reconciled our relationship, but he made it so that my father is now one of my greatest prayer supporters and, you know, one of my closest friends. And quite honestly, that's so much more than I had ever hoped or even imagined could be possible. Uh, But that's what God did. But do you know what the greater blessing is? Let me tell you what the greater blessing is. The greater blessing is that I now see that all of those lessons that I learned through those scars, through my history, you know, through those hurts with my family, God is now using uh, to in me to help other families reconcile, to help other families, you know, be united together. So God's story of reconciliation written upon my life is now being used to reconcile so many other families, to make them biblically centered and Christ-centered today, you know. And so that life that I was once so ashamed of, even after I became a Christian, is something that I'm so thankful for today. And I'm so thankful that I don't have any other life, you know, besides that. You know, and, you know, the thing is, broken families are not something to, like, really brag about. But it's almost become something for me to brag about because I'm just so thankful that God brought me through all that. And I'm thankful now because I can see so clearly that God uses all that as the tool in my life to bring him glory. And I absolutely love that. You know, believe it or not, God is writing his story in you right now. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it, but he is. And from reading all of these stories in Scripture, you know, and reading all these Old Testament stories, especially in Scripture, as well as the story of faithful Christians, faithful pastors, missionaries, just faithful Christians in the past, it seems to me that so often God uses difficulties. God uses challenges. God uses brokenness into our lives to mold us into the tools and the people that he can use tomorrow. And so here's a verse that I have absolutely grown to love. James 1, 2-4 says this. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What are these verses saying? In a nutshell, what these verses are saying is that God is at work in you. God is currently working now in you. And when life seems to be at its toughest, that's when God's at his best in you. So persevere. You know, God is giving us the framework of how we are to see the challenging situations that he's presented to us in our lives today. Persevere because he's molding you into the person that he wants to use powerfully tomorrow. Consider it pure joy, it says. Isn't that amazing? God is giving us that framework to see the challenges that we're going through right now through his eyes. God is actively at work in you. And that and, and a lot of us, we really need to know that. You know, we really do. Because a lot of times some of us are, are really fearful. 
that, you know, that we're going to make the same mistakes that our parents did or our grandparents did. You know, just because maybe we look at our parents who failed in their marriages and we're like, we're scared of our future marriages. Or maybe we see some of our family members who failed in their lives and we're like, oh man, I'm doomed to repeat that. Or maybe we just look at our own personal history and we only see the negative stuff. We only see what's missing or what's broken. We only see the hurts or the losses or the ways that we've always fallen short. But the greatest thing about these first few verses of Ezra 7 is that it says, it's telling us point blank, that your heritage is not about you. Your history is not necessarily about you, but it's about the story that God is currently writing in you and through you so that he can use you tomorrow. To bring him glory, right? That's the greatest part of this story. And I know some of us, you know, we look at our lives and we're like, oh man, I don't know if I can see that, Eddie, because what's in front of my face is really overwhelming. It's really absolutely challenging. I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that's, I know that's what it feels like now. But what I need to know, what I need to tell you point blank is that God is there. He loves you. He is in full control And he wants to use you. That's why you are here. So the light is there. It's just that sometimes the situation is so difficult, we can't see it very clearly. And what I want to tell you is that what you're going through now is an essential part of becoming who God wants you to be. So persevere. Consider it pure joy if you can, because you need to be convinced that God is at work and when the times are darkest that's when the god is that's when god is closest that's when he's hardest at work in you james says god is actually maturing you through the struggle so persevere but more than that on a very personal level too if you are struggling that much please contact me i'd love to hear what's going on contact your cg leader we'd love to support you we may not have all the answers for you but we can walk with you you know, through whatever darkness you might be going through. And that would be our honor and privilege. So let's do this together. Let's be the church together and let's help each other in that way. But for the majority of us who can do this, embrace your history. Thank God for the ugliness of the past, right? No matter how truly ugly it really is, knowing that as you walk with him today, He's already redeeming it in your life for his glory tomorrow, right? And as that happens, you know what he's going to prove to you? He's going to prove to you that God can draw straight lines with broken sticks. It's the greatest. C.S. Lewis said that one day. You know, God is already writing his story in you. Do you guys see that? And when we're confident in that, the next point is going to help us so much. And the second point and last point is this. God uses people who are convinced that his ways are the best ways. Let's just look at two verses, verses 6 and verse 10. It says this, it says, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Verse 10, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees, and the laws in Israel. Now, I want you to understand, once again, the situation that Ezra 
was in. He was busy, super busy, serving the king. He was like his right-hand man, so he was always on call. But there was a constant burden upon Ezra's heart. And the burden was the people of Israel. You know, the people of Israel needed to be liberated from Babylon. They needed to be gathered from all parts of Babylonia so they can go back to their homeland in Jerusalem. They needed someone to lead them back to the land of promise. And once they got there, you know, they needed a city. They needed walls. They needed government. They needed agriculture. They needed worship. They needed an army. They needed so many things. These are the things that were on Ezra's Heart. So let me ask you a question. If you were Ezra and you were in this position of leadership, how would you choose to influence the king to make all that happen? Or maybe the better question is, would you do what Ezra did in verse 10? What did Ezra do in verse 10? He set his heart to study the law, to teach the law, and to obey the law in his life. What's that saying? It's saying that Ezra in his heart believed that by knowing God's ways and following God's ways, that is what was going to make him prosperous in God's mission. Isn't that amazing? Right? Therefore, he believed that his personal study and application of scripture was what God was going to use to change the world. And did that happen? Yes, it did. Right? But wait, Eddie, are you saying that in any circumstance that we face today, whatever circumstance that we're facing, are you saying that all we have to do is study and obey God's word and then God's going to do the rest? I mean, don't we have to take action at some point? And here's how I'll respond to that. Um, You know, the key to being prosperous in Christ, the key to being used for his glory, the key really is faith. Totally trusting in God. That's it. And we have to get to our point in our lives where we are convinced that God is in full control of our situation. We have to be fully convinced that he is fully worthy of our best, no matter what we see in front of our eyes. He's fully worthy of our faith and our trust, right? But many times the reality is we as Christians, we're not there. We look at our situations. We're like, dude, I can just do this and change it. You know, and we choose not to trust in God, you know, and that's what we do so often. Our hearts are not there. Our minds may not be there. Our bodies may not be there. Our faith may not quite be there. So what has to happen is that we have to change. But how do we change? You know, how do our hearts and our whole perspectives change to actually trust in God and to know that God's in full control, all that kind of stuff? And the answer, you know, do we have, do we have to go to a prayer meeting? Do I just need to study scripture more? Should I help the homeless people in my local area? You know, is that going to help? And I don't know, it might. But really, the only way anyone changes is by continually meeting with God. It's the only way. The only way that we genuinely change, the only way our hearts change, the only way our perspective changes, the only way the direction and the trajectory of our life changes is when we spend time with God and he shows us himself. And he shows us the way that we were always meant to go in, right? We don't read scripture primarily to get more knowledge. We don't pray primarily to tell God what we need or what we want. We don't serve other people primarily primarily to fulfill this uh, sense of religious duty to mankind. But we do all these things so that we can actually get closer to God. 
so that we can know God more, you know, so that we can worship God and become more like him in all that we do. You know, so many people, they read scripture, you know, they hear my instructions, they say, oh, you got to study scripture, you got to teach scripture, you got to obey scripture. And so they go home and all they do is study scripture. And a lot of people, they, they study the Bible and they get a lot more knowledge, but they don't get God. A lot of people go to prayer meetings or they pray and they tell God all that they want and they tell him a plethora of all these things, but they never hear from God or they never interact with God. A lot of people go down to the local, you know, soup kitchen and they might serve not out of love and compassion and thanksgiving, but maybe just to feel good about themselves. They get all the religious stuff of Christianity right, but they don't get God. That's so like, what a waste and how misdirected and misinformed they are about their faith. But more than that, you know, they're just missing out on God, which is why God gave us all of these things. What is the answer? How do we prevent all that? And the answer really is, it is the proper study and application of Scripture. That's what's going to change your life, just like Ezra did here. And I hope this next illustration will help you understand exactly what I mean. Do any of you like write a diary? And by diary, I don't mean like a schedule or an appointment book, but a diary, you know, those personal thoughts that people write every single night, that kind of stuff. I only wrote it occasionally a few times in my life, but I never, you know, I don't really keep a diary. I don't even keep the other kind of diary either. Anyway, but you know, a diary is some of the most heartfelt, personal words, you know, that, and maybe honest things that can be written down on a piece of paper. It really is the heart of a person described or expressed through words. And so here we go. If I picked up, let's say you had a diary and I picked up your diary and I read like one or two months worth of entries. I, you know, I read every single day for two months of your life. What, what do you think I would gain from that? You know, um, I'd probably see what you did every single day, which is cool. And I might learn a few things about you, which is great. But my guess is that overall, what I'd really gain by reading your diary is a very clear picture of who you are, the things that you value, how you want to be treated in life. And what that would do for me is that it would change or at least clarify how I am to interact with you, you know, and how I can actually interact with you and get to know you better, how I can honor you, how I can care for you, you know, and all of these things. The ultimate result of me reading your diary is that it would change the way we relate. Do you guys see that? Scripture is very similar. You know, you can study it day and night, and if you do, that's awesome. You know, you're going to learn a few things, which is good, you know, but all that knowledge is not given to us ultimately so that we can determine what's good or bad or holy or unholy. That's not it. Scripture is God's heart written into words for us. And it reveals who he is. It reveals what he values. It reveals, you know, like how he wants to be treated by us and by creation. And therefore, it ultimately teaches us how we are to interact with him and how we are to relate with him so that we can live with him and worship him and be just like him. And when that's your motive in reading scripture, and when that's your motive in obeying scripture, when it's him, that's when all of a sudden, you know, God will become more real and personal to us. That's what we mentioned last week, right? And as our confidence in him grows, so will our faith, right? Which will lead to actions 
birthed from worship out of faith and not with the worldly mindset. Do you guys see that? Do you guys understand that? And so that's how we become people who are convinced that his ways are the best ways, just like Ezra was. You know, this past week, my wife and I had dinner with this missionary couple, and they're awesome, you know, and they're they're like some of the closest friends that we have. They're missionary friends who just came and um, from overseas. And so we were sitting down with dinner with them, and I'm asking, hey, how was it? I haven't seen them in like four years. So they're sharing story after story, and it was so amazing. And they're sharing story after story of all the miracles that God is doing through them and in their ministry. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. But if I'm honest with you, I'm sitting there um, absolutely envious. You know, I even whispered to my wife at one point. I was like, man, how come God doesn't use us like that? How come we don't see, like, miraculous things through our lives as much? I was very envious, you know, I'll admit to you. But as they shared story after story after story, what we came to realize is I think the reason why God uses them so powerfully is because they just trust God's word. If God's word says so, they just trust him behind it. You know, let me share with you what I mean. There was, they were sharing this one story about how there was one time where they really need thousands of dollars. They were just short. You know, the rent got raised. They were trying to run this business and that rent got raised. They wanted to take more people on so that they could disciple more people through that business, all that kind of stuff. And so they were short, you know, and they could have easily just told people that they were short, please pray for us or whatever. They could have told people that they needed more money. But, you know, they came across verses like, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll provide everything that you need. So they said, you want to know something? We just need to trust in God. He knows us. He knows all of our needs more than we do. So let's just pray and let's just trust in him. And so they're, they were banking on, you know, Matthew 6, 33. They were banking on these verses that God just knew them better than they knew themselves. And they, he knew what they needed. And so that's what they did. And then every single time they would share a story like that, they would always end with something like this. And then a mission, and then a pastor called. Or like someone just messaged us the next day or whatever, whatever, dot, dot, and they always got, you know, the money that they needed. And it was absolutely wonderful. You know, these people are convinced that God loves them more than they love themselves. They're convinced that God knows their every need. They're convinced that God is fighting for them in every single way. And so they just trust and pray and they live every single day in obedience, knowing that God will provide. You know, all to say, God loves using people who are just absolutely convinced that his ways that he's prescribed to us in scripture are the best ways. Trusting him, having faith in him is the best way to live our lives. These are the people that God loves to use. People who read scripture, obey scripture like that, and as a result, move in faith. Verse six says that Ezra was skilled in the law of Moses. Now that word skilled, actually the Hebrew word means fast learner, but it also means applier or user, which tells us that Ezra knew how to use the word of God. What is that telling us? It's telling us that Ezra's approach to studying scripture was not simply to learn more things about God. That's not what it was. But it was to gain more of God himself. And that's the wisdom and love that he gained from applying scripture. And because he spent so much time seeing God bless the application of scripture through his life, he became convinced that the application of scripture in his life is what was going to influence and change the king. Isn't that amazing? Right? The application 
of Scripture in his workplace is what was going to change his workplace. The application of Scripture in his family to his family members is what was going to change his family and his family members, right? The application of Scripture in his relationships and his city is what was going to change those relationships and that city. And that really is the key for us as well, isn't it? God's ways are the best, right? And therefore, if we want to see God infiltrate and impact our families, our workplaces, our relationships, whatever it may be, we must be convinced that it is the obedience and the application of Scripture in those arenas that are going to change the people and the relationships in those arenas, right? And we need to trust Him throughout that process. Can I tell you, uh, to end, I just want to tell you one thing. You know, I, one thing I really learned about FLM people in the past two years is that you genuinely love God. And that's what's awesome about being, about being part of this ministry. You know, I know we all struggle. We all have our faults. You know, we all have our sins and all that kind of stuff. I know we all have our, all that kind of stuff. We have our doubts. But if there's anything I'm convinced of as I've been worshiping with you the past two years is that you guys love God. You guys are convinced that God is real and that you want God and that you're actually loved by God in your life. Or else you wouldn't rock up to these services. You know, you wouldn't come here after like two services already in the morning. But it's because you actually do love God and that's why it's so awesome. But if there's one growth area in our ministry that I think is so blatantly clear, it is our knowledge of Scripture. We need to really grow in our knowledge of the Word. We need to know what the Word of God says and why God is saying it and how to apply that within our lives and how to actually know God through it within each one of our lives. There are 66 books written in Scripture, and each one of them shares with us a different facet of who God is. God wants to reveal a different part of himself and to show a different part of himself so that we can relate with him more intimately and deeply. And so, you know, I hope that you get to love these books like Ezra did. And as a result, you fall in love with God and you can walk more closely with God himself. So if there's anything I can ask you to do, will you please be a studier of Scripture? Will you please be a teacher of Scripture? Will you please be an applier, a user of Scripture so that you can know God and so that you can become exactly what He's forming you to be and molding you to be tomorrow? This is what He wants. We said last week that God keeps us here on earth so that through our lives, more worshipers can be saved. And if that's why God keeps us here, Let's become people that God uses powerfully to impact others. He's already writing his story in our lives. So let's study his word and obey it so that we can be used powerfully for him tomorrow. Let's pray. Maybe there's some people that are watching now or listening now and you look at your past and it's like, wow, it hurts. It's, and you know, there's a lot of brokenness. God's a part of it. He may not have created the brokenness, but he's definitely a part of the healing process. And it's part of the story that God wants to write in you. It may be the exact ministry that he's going to use you for, just like he did in my life. And what you might be ashamed of or what you might be hurt by today or might be the source 
of his greatest ministry that he uses in you tomorrow. You know, I will forever boast about my weaknesses because it is through those weaknesses that his strength shows perfect. And that's what we want. So if, if you're there, thank God for the brokenness and the hurt if you can. Let's thank him and let's take on that new perspective, knowing that he's forming and molding us to be used powerfully for his glory tomorrow. If you can't do it, then just share your heart with God. He's listening. Hear his voice and how much he loves you today. Spend some time doing that and be healed by his presence so that you can take one more step tomorrow. But know that the church is also here. We love you and we want to walk with you as well. God is writing his story in each one of us. Let's thank him for it. Let's become who he wants us to be. And let's commit ourselves to studying scripture, obeying scripture, even applying and teaching scripture so that we might be better prepared to be used for tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God that redeems brokenness for your glory. We thank you, God, though difficult it might be when we look at our past or when we look at our histories, as hurtful, as dark as it might be, we thank you, God, that your light and your truth and your goodness and love is greater than the darkness that we see behind us. And Father, more than that, you want to redeem it and use it for your glory tomorrow. We know that there are so many others who struggle in the exact same way. So, Father, we pray that you would use us and our brokenness so that your strength and your glory might be perfected through us. And, God, so that you might be seen through us and your story would be heard so much more clearly through us. We thank you, God, that you have a plan for our lives like that. We thank you, God, that your love grants us and gifts us with a life to be used in that way. And so, Lord, we pray that in this life that we'll never be so enchanted by all the other things that sparkle in this world. But, Father, we'll always be fixated upon you and you alone and that your glory and your love will be all that we need so that your people can be saved for you. We thank you, God, so much for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I give uh, the benediction, um, I just want to share that, you know, next week is our Christmas service. 
You know, I know in light of all everything that's going on, we'll let you know exactly what's happening for our services next week. Uh, please follow us in social media uh, to keep us. We'll try to keep everything up to date to tell you what the services might look like next week. Um, or, you know, if you're part of a CG, we'll tell our CG leaders and they'll hand that out to everybody else. But if everything's a go, it's our Christmas service next week. Once again, we'll put all of the details um, on social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, I think, you know, if we still use Facebook. And um, but please stay safe and we'll share with you once again everything that's going on with this current COVID situation in our church with you. We just want all of you to be safe. And so we'll try to help you with information the best that we can. But with one more, one more thing before we get to uh, our benediction, um, it's Christmas coming up. Um, and I know in Australia, a lot of it's a holiday season, you know, to go off on holidays and things like that. But um, even though it's not commanded in the Bible that we're to honor Christ's birth, it's just still a wonderful opportunity for us to think about how awesome Jesus is and who he really is and why he came to this earth for us. And so I always consider Christmas a time of awesome renewal, especially in our walk with Jesus. And I hope you take advantage of that as you think about the real reason for Christmas, which is Jesus. So let's think about that together. Let's pray with the benediction and we'll close our service. Father, we thank you so much that you are writing your story within our lives. All we want to do is prosper in Christ. We want to be used by you, God. But more than even that, we just want you. We want to walk every single day knowing that your presence is with us, knowing that you're close to us, knowing that we're loved, knowing, God, that you are with us, guarding us, protecting us, providing for us in every single way. But a lot of times we're not there. So Lord, we ask that you give us the discipline and the courage simply to be a study of your word and a of your word so that we may be convinced and walk in faith. God, we thank you so much that you're so committed to us. Continue to build us in that way. And Father, for those who are you know, going through the COVID situation this week, we pray that you continually comfort their hearts and heal their bodies this week as they do so. And Father, we pray that your presence would reign upon households this week powerfully. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be generous to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen. Have a good week.